Warning, this podcast was produced by two men who still think that swearing is both big and clever. As a result, it contains quite a lot of it. Therefore, this podcast is not suitable for children, unless they're really fucking cool children. Yes, people, it has been a minute. Welcome to Pop Collaborate and Listen. My name is Dave Fensum. Um... Wow, thank you so much, guys, for downloading our uh, In Excess episode. We were quite overwhelmed by the numbers that we did on that. Glad to know you guys haven't forgotten about us while we've been away. Uh, as Krista said in the last episode, yeah, it's been a, a little bit of a difficult time over the uh, uh, over the lockdown period. We had a lot going on, not least of which was the fact that uh, my wife uh, was pregnant throughout. So it was a bit of a stress uh, stressful time, particularly as some of you will know, I make all my money through events, uh, and uh, <laughs> events disappeared completely. Completely. So it's been a weird few months, but then, uh, as Chris said last time, on the seventh uh, of September, we welcomed our beautiful daughter Isla Ray into this world. Um, couldn't be happier. Absolutely over the moon. So, cheers. Uh, thanks to all the guys that uh, DM'd me, got in contact, to say uh, wish wish uh, wish us the best. Uh, you know who you are. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, but we're back here with a podcast. Uh, this week is about Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells 2, the uh, the big, hotly anticipated follow-up to one of the biggest records uh, of all time. And yeah, I think we, this is quite a good episode. We really got into it. Uh, I think this is kind of the almost one of the perfect type of uh, uh, records for this in a record where you've got some memory, some expectations. You're not really sure what's going on. I think this is a good, solid episode of PCL. But as always, please let us know your thoughts on there. Um, as Chris was saying last time, we're getting towards the end of uh, of 1992 now. We're kind of getting our plans together, trying to work out when and where we can record. Um, as I've mentioned before, we've had an ongoing project building a studio in the garden. Uh, that's nearly finished now. So we're going to, infrastructure-wise, we're we're getting up to pace a little bit more. Uh, I'm currently debating whether we're going to do some more content uh, on different formats, YouTube and that type of thing. There's going to be more to come, basically, music-based stuff from me, certainly, possibly from the podcast. Uh, just let us know the type of things that you'd, you'd want to see, what would be interesting to you. Uh, we're also talking about getting the quiz up and running again when we can. We've got a few uh, barriers to that at the moment that Jenny did an awful lot of the uh, uh, the work on those uh, and at the moment she has got a baby attached to her breast pretty much all day so it makes it very difficult to do any photoshop but uh, we've got all kinds of ideas we haven't been sat on our asses doing nothing it's just been difficult to kind of get together and record but as I say we've got a few great albums coming up towards the end of the year and when I say great I don't know I haven't listened to them yet uh, but in- certainly interesting ones and we will be back as soon as we possibly can with the next series um, any ideas that you've got for getting us out to a wider audience please let us know guys get in contact you know maybe you're a pr and work with podcasts let us know we might be interested in working with you who knows anyway i'm going to go and change a nappy so you guys take care and i'll see you soon bye
Yes, yes, people. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Collaborate. And listen, as ever, my name is Dave Fence. I'm here with Mr. Chris DeGreer. Hello, everybody. Uh, underneath Chris DeGreer's chair, as ever, is our faithful friend, Mr. Waffles T. Dog. How you doing, Waffles? Oh, you heard his name there. His ears would look like a little bit of a flick. Yeah, I mean, realistically, waiting for him to respond is a cunt's errand, really, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah. He's his dog, isn't he? And he's also really fucking arrogant. Uh, he is, yeah. He's, he's too good for this shit. Far too good. Right, so we are back, motherfucker, to talk about Mike Oldfields. Mike Oldfields. And what's his album called? <laughs> it's Tubular Bells 2. The sequel you didn't know you needed, just Indeed. when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tubular Bells 2, like 20, no, 19 years after the first one sure so I mean Tubular mm. Bells everyone knows it from one main thing which is The Exorcist I guess that was definitely my first well, or, or, or people of our generation know it from The Exorcist well, oh, there you go well that's what made it famous to be honest reading up around it uh, it does seem that it was released and it did some business and then it was used in The Exorcist and it went fucking mental yeah yeah and quite rightly so I mean that is a very that's right up there with Jaws and stuff like oh, that it's good, good uses of music perfectly it works perfectly it's only in there a couple of times but it's perfect for the scenes it's in and obviously it was in the trailers and on the the, sorry, the, the snippets that you yeah. see so it's very very much associated with it yeah, apparently it was going to be um Lalo Schifrin was had done and think had done a score for the exorcist okay uh, but last minute was scrapped and this was a very last minute edition probably but a good choice I, I think well you can't imagine it being different now can you well you can't imagine it being better certainly no no definitely not. I mean maybe it is maybe it's an absolute belter yeah, anyway. but yes, that, that's kind of my background on Tubular Bells for sure. Sure, uh, I, I, and by the time this album came out, uh, had you seen The Exorcist? I had. See, uh, I had not. Yes, I had. I saw it when I was sixteen uh, because it was fi- in ninety. That would have been ninety one. It was finally allowed to be shown in kind of art house cinemas again because it was on the band list yeah. for ages and ages and ages, and uh, it was finally given a sort of re release in small places. And I went and got my first fake ID specifically so I could go and see The Exorcist. Good shit, man. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't seen The Exorcist at all at this point, uh, but my friend Darren, whose dad was kind of big into Jean-Michel Jarre, and I mean, you remember oh, right. Darren from the Metallica episode. If, you, if you're a long-time listener to the show, you'd have remember yeah, yeah. Darren from, from this. And also such quotes as, got my rubs on the Eurasia episode. His dad had been a fan of uh, Mike Oldfield, so he got Tubular Bells too, I think day of release. Jesus. It was deep in the middle of our grunge period as well. So I've heard this album like 20, 30 years ago. I Holy shit, right. When it first came out. I mean, I've asked Darren to record a little something for us, so we'll see if he sends it through before... Uh, His before thoughts we've on, the, yeah, on this album. On this Fuck album. Fucking hell. Right, I was good... Because I just assumed... Uh, that you'd never heard this album before. Oh, no, I've heard all. this album. Oh, wow. Right. Because uh, I'm brand new to this. Okay. Totally new. And uh, going in, I was I was pretty scared of what was I was going to be getting into because in my head, fair enough, Tubular Bells is a classic and I love it in The Exorcist and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But when you tell me, oh, you need to listen to a Mike Oldfield album, I'm thinking, oh, there's going to be an awful lot of wishy-washy stuff. It's going to be really kind of just weird and noodly. It's going to be prog or something like that. So I was not uh, coming into this uh, cheerfully, you know? Absolutely, mate. Honestly, mate, there are there are Chinese restaurants with fewer noodles than uh, hey! the Mike Oldfield <laughs> records. Um, so, yeah, all right. Well, look, let's let's start, as we always do, uh-huh. uh, with the album cover. Yes. Um, so, I mean, if you've ever seen the album cover for Tubular Bells, the first one, yeah. it's that again, but in worse colours. Yeah, exactly. They just adjusted the hue in Photoshop, really. That's pretty what they've much. done. That's pretty much what they've done. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's kind of blue and gold. It kind of looks vaguely like uh, Run the Jewels uh, 3. 
Oh, okay. In those colours, the golds and the blues. All right, yeah. Um, for fans of uh, Run the Jewels that want a Mike Oldfield reference, who knows? Um, yeah, there's got to be someone out there. I mean, it's a it's a tubular bell uh, in, in the sky, in a, in, a, in a sky, in a kind of a, exactly uh, un, unnatural bent shape of some description. Yeah. Well, the thing is, if you're a Mike Oldfield fan mm-hmm. and you've been waiting for Tubular Bells 2 to arrive because it had been talked about and apparently um, Richard Branson during Mike Oldfield's time at Virgin had been trying to get Oldfield to record Tubular Bells 2 because yep. he knew it was a money spinner um, and, he, and Mike Oldfield had been resistant to it Partly because he didn't want to do it, but partly also because of the way Branson was pushing it. He could see he just wanted the money. Well, they'd fallen out, hadn't they? They had, yeah. Towards the 80s, um, Mike Oldfield felt sidelined by Virgin because they were starting to go down the punk route and sign a load of punk stuff. And that was obviously the antithesis of what Oldfield was doing. And he felt that he was just no longer in any way a priority for the for the label mm-hmm. and so but he couldn't get out of his contract he'd signed this ridiculous contract when he first got into because he was the first act signed to virgin indeed and he couldn't get out of it and had to keep recording I think albums it was the first release on Virgin. it was yeah, yeah it was yeah. well it was and it, it was the reason that brunson formed the label because mike oldfield had taken this to various other labels who'd all laughed in his face and told okay. him to fuck off <laughs> uh, so you could almost call it their uh, <laughs> virgin release <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could. Uh, and very few people release when they're, when they're virgins. Well, that's that's anyway. And, um, uh, so, yeah, it, you know, he, he was still on Virgin and refused to do Tubular Bells 2 for them. But then in 1991, he parted ways with them and signed to Warners. And basically the first thing he did was Tubular Bells 2 for them, which is a bit of a... Fuck kick, you, really. Yeah, it really is a kick in the teeth. But, yeah, fuck it. He doesn't give a shit. And so this was... if you If you are a fan, you've been waiting for this to come out... All you want is an updated version of the first one. You don't want anything dramatically different. No. You don't want to go into it and not recognise anything from the first one and think, why is this called Jupiter Bells 2? So if you just get a cover that is the same but with a different palette, you're happy as shit, aren't yeah, you? Sure. You're totally fine Here with that. Go. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it does what it says on the tin. Anyway. It, it absolutely does. Um, this is... And again, did you know this is his 15th album? I didn't realise that. I mean, no, possibly can, and definitely Mm. didn't care. But did it surprise you? Uh, It kind of doesn't, in a way. Oh, really? Okay. It doesn't, in a way, because, like, what else is Mike Oldfield doing apart from sitting in his studio and making music? True, you're you're absolutely right. It just surprised me that he had done so many and I was entirely unaware of them. I think I'm vague I think I'm kind of vaguely more aware that there's a, a yeah. bigger back catalogue sitting out there. Fine. I, I suspect there are moments on all of them that I would go, Oh, that's a fucking great little riff or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Mm-hmm. But I also suspect on the whole I'm probably not gonna be discovering sure you, why would you go into a 1983 Mike Oldfield album yeah I mean to be fair maybe you know only on a personal recommendation I think is the way I would go in if okay. someone knew what I was into and went you need to hear this this has got these bits in it because I do like a bit of prog but yeah true but I don't immerse myself in huge amounts of prog because you know the kind of the barriers to entry are high because you can't it's really weird I think half the time when you listen to a prog album for the first time it's almost impossible to know whether you've listened to a good or a bad one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you've just listened to something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and right. you've got, you know, I guess if you've got if you've got a level of technical musical literacy and you can hear and you can understand how clever the things are and you can, you know, like someone like our pal Chris Green would listen to them and go, oh, yeah. I, I hear what he's doing there, he's doing this, he's doing that. Yeah, I guess you've got more of an immediacy from there. But from my layman's 
kind of just music fans ears i have to kind of i have to listen to it and suss out what's going on you know? okay it, yeah fair enough you know even even stuff by some of my favorite bands you know i'm like okay so it's, so to take a chance on these records can be it's a, a it's a, that's a big risk yeah. yeah no you're absolutely right um i don't know if you, do you remember his killing fields soundtrack that he did um, mid 80s I, I remember it existing but i don't i couldn't tell you I, you could play me some of it now i think and i wouldn't Right, okay. I wouldn't remember it. Because that, that's the other thing I kind of really remember him for, because that was in my house growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, we had that on vinyl. And, you know, fucking hell, you're playing a Mike Oldfield soundtrack to a film about loads and loads of tragedy. Yeah. It's not a happy album, but we did. We put it on sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah it was great. It was lovely. It's yeah. a lovely piece of music. A lovely little dance. Yes, you're right. Do a jig. Yeah. Granny would break out the uh, tin whistle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's the other thing I know. But I suppose... The other things everyone knows about Mike Goldfield is Moonlight Shadow. Yeah. Yep. That's a great tune. Mm-hmm. That is a really good retune. I love that. I, I, I can't kid. take it seriously because what, what, what comedy thing was it? Like a Moonlight Shadow. Oh, it was a far show, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Yeah, they used to play Moonlight Shadow. Uh, the Eco Warrior, Dave, whatever his name, Eco Oh, yeah. Warrior. Didn't they used to play in the Moonlight oh, Shadow? Sounds probably about right, actually. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a wicked tune. And then the other thing everyone knows is that uh, he wrote the Blue Peter, or not, he didn't write the Blue he, his version of the Blue Peter theme was the one they used throughout the I 80s. I don't think I knew that. Oh, I see, yeah, that the, the updated version, I think he recorded it in about 79 yeah. of the Blue Peter theme, was used until maybe the late 80s. And it was the first time they'd updated their theme tune since 1958 when it started. Well, imagine getting Gavin with the kids by going to Mike Oldfield. <laughs> Quite. Well, but we it, need something that these guys are really going to be into. Who we got out there? Who's cool? Oldfield. Yeah. Oldfield. And this is at the height of punk as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it came from, they had him on doing a piece about uh, sort of modern recording and, you know, in the studio with Mike Oldfield. Mm-hmm. And he was just demonstrating how he used stuff and what things were that he had in this huge cavernous studio in his house. And he said, for example, if I wanted to do the Blue Peter theme, I would do this. And he played a little bit that sounded like a hornpipe on yeah. his keyboards. And then I would put this in. And... Apparently, he then got really obsessed with it and tinkered with it and tinkered with it and tinkered with it until he was happy with it. Right. And then they went, oh, well, there's our new theme tune. We'll just use that then. Brilliant. Nice. Thanks, Mike. Cheers, Mike. Yeah, exactly. So Amazing. that's that's kind of your, your populist version of Mike Oldfield, I guess. Yeah. And I think before we go into this album, actually, something you said there is, is quite important to hit on, isn't it? Right. In the, got to remember, early 1990s, this record took an enormous studio and an enormous amount of technical know-how to put together. Yeah, sure. Okay? Whereas today, Mike would probably put this record together with a few synths, a guitar, and a fucking MacBook Pro. Oh, easy. You do it you on your phone. You know, this is this is the thing. You know, the, you, you, these kind of albums seem... I think if you don't view them through the right filter, mm. it's possible to enormously be reductive about the amount of effort and process that went in to come out That's with fair. this result. That's fair. Uh, whether that makes it listenable or not is not my concern for this review. But I, I, okay. want, I feel I want to make sure that people are aware that I, you know, this is not, you know, I, I'm aware that these type of people and the type of things they were doing were enormous pioneers for what happened in dance music and all kinds of other things. Sure, these, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of recorded, but they were, you know, the, the kind of hi-fi dinosaurs that were obsessed with fidelity and things like that, you know. It, this was a big deal with a lot of different moving parts and two different producers as well. It had uh, one guy called Tom Newman who was like an engineer on the first one. Yeah. So he'd been there since the very start and did a load of stuff with Virgin throughout. 
but also then he got Trevor Horn in yep. as a second producer. No, we talked about Trevor Horn on this podcast before. Well, indeed, yeah. The last time we saw him, I think, it was the Seal album. Yeah, uh, he produced that, and so he's come in off the back of Seal and having done all the Art and Noise stuff and various uh, big, big bands in the eighties, production-wise. He was brought on as, I guess, someone with an eye more to the future than. Thomas Newman definitely, and probably even Mike Oldfield. Yeah. Mike Oldfield's doing things in a very traditional way still, to an extent, but he's, he's, he likes technology but isn't down with the kids. Trevor Horn is brought in as, okay, well, this is what we can do with uh, a bit of a an open mind. Yeah. I mean, Br- bring the new thing in. Okay, let's let's fucking crack on with this then. Uh, yeah, just trying to think if you anything, anything else. Um, the only thing I will say is that the first album... The, the weight of expectation on this, right? Because the first album was sold over 15 million copies. It's yeah. huge. And still apparently sells about 100,000 a year. Jesus. Yeah, no, it just doesn't go away. So there's a massive, massive weight of expectation on this from the public on one side, but also from this new label who've given him a load of money to go yeah. and do it. Uh, and it did get to number one. It was number one for two weeks. Okay. So it was a couple of weeks. It wasn't just in and out. Uh, but the time period that we are going to look at is a bit longer than that because there's other stuff on both sides. Mm-hmm. But this got to number one on the sixth of September, nineteen ninety-two. How did it perform long term? Was it was it a kind of big platinum record, big seller of the year, or uh, was it not particularly? It, it sold well, and you know, because it's Jupiter Bells too, because it's Mike Oldfield, it, it did sell better than you know any of his other albums from the past few years. Sure. But no, it's nothing in comparison to the first one. No, it certainly didn't set us up for an enormous Mike Oldfield resurgence, did it? It didn't. No. I think what's quite interesting though is that, you know he waited 20 years because there was this enormous appetite for this, but then what did he wait another was it only another 6 years before Jubilee Bells 3? Yes, yeah. The running out that the, the Mike needs to pay the mortgage out. Well, indeed there was there was Jubilee Bells 2 uh, here we are in 1992, then there was something like orchestral Jubilee Bells in 95, Jubilee Bells 3 in 19 Eight, I think, yeah. and then in about two thousand and three, yeah. there was the thirtieth anniversary Tubular Bells one, where he re- re- just re-recorded. It. I know, yeah, yeah. He's obviously seen this is his cash cow, and that's where he's going to get the most money. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair mm. enough. Um, but also, this is fucking a new age album, realistically. Uh, being number one in the midst of things, we just did in excess. Yeah, you know, um, Michael Ball or, mm-hmm. earlier, this sort of thing. Fair enough that we did the Orb a mm-hmm. couple of episodes ago, and it fits in with that. And the Orb did some remixes of the singles as well. But it's a weird one, I think, that this was a big deal. Yeah, but it was. It was. This is this is the thing we often think about pop charts as being a youth-driven thing. But the one thing that this podcast has shown us time and time again is that certainly in the early nineties. Uh, the album's chart was a very adult-led. That's also that is very true. There's a massive difference in that. You're right. This wasn't being bought by people in their twenties, apart from Darren. Apart, yeah, apart from Darren. Actually, I think, I, think, Darren. I think Darren was like in his teens. I think he'd have been like seventeen. Yeah, good lord. Seven, yeah, six, yeah, sixteen, seventeen. We would have been. It's just not right. It really isn't. Anyway, Pervert. so let's do track number one, which is called Sentinel. Okay. Which I've spelt wrong on my fucking notes. Unless it's, it's spelt normally, isn't it, with the E-L at the end? Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've written it down wrong. What's fucking wrong You've with it? You've got Sentinel. Sentinel, yeah. Twat. Well, no, twat indeed. Now, the first major mm-hmm. problem of this album strikes right here because this little keyboard refrain this is a recurring theme throughout all of the first half of this record this is an album that's definitely been recorded in two halves oh very much yeah 
And this is the recurring theme from all of it, right? And the second that you realise it sounds like the theme from Button Moon, you're fucked. Jesus Christ. Mr. Spoon Button Oh, good Lord. <laughs> it's just the same. <laughs> Fucking hell. And here comes the tube of the Thankfully, yeah, we're into, you know, the classic, the Exorcist yeah. theme. Oh, my God. That button. See, I hadn't picked up on the Button Moon thing at all. Yeah. But You'll never be get it out of your head that's now. That, yeah, that is it. Wow. And here we are, tubular bells, but... Where is it? Where is it? The... <sighs> no, I'm looking for the... Uh, hang on. I'm looking for the bass note. Where is it? It's coming. It's coming. Any minute now. Boom, boom. Dub style. <laughs> I, said, I, I reckon that that's the thing that everyone that was like the first thing, like, like been waiting twenty years for tubular bells. Yeah. What we really are hoping is there's a bit more reggae. This time. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> so we've got look, we've got lots of hi-fi synthy sounds going on. Uh, any minute now, Mr. Spoons is going to go flamenco. <laughs> Lovely. Well, what do you think about that kind of almost panpipe-esque synth sound that he's got? That it's not panpipe strictly there, but that kind of weird. I mean, there's a lot of sounds in this that I don't think are particularly great sounds. I I, I almost like have a running total of the sounds I don't like yeah, on this yeah. album. Yeah. I've got to say though, this piece itself, yeah, I quite enjoy it. This is this is. Fine. This is actually pretty good. I yeah. think I like this. The, I would prefer some of it bits of it if he'd chosen a different instrument on his Casio. Yeah, I mean, you know that's what. Why has he? Why has he got the Hey Nonnies in there as well? Uh, well, he, he seems to just go back to that sometime. He's very much obsessed with um, these uh, kind of choral vocal effects that he's playing out of the key sure. synths. Yeah, uh, which sounds very dated. It I does. Would say. I, I'd say you're right. Um, are you talking about the kind of the the that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They're gonna. It almost like, like if you got Clanad in for a laugh. I mean, it just reminds me of like you know being in music class and the, one of the first things. Oh, there we go. Oh, oh wow. God, that, what's going on there? Again, again. Don't don't take this out of your repertory. Oh, that, weird. That, is it? Is that a guitar? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a theremin. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, here we are, some hey nonnies, hey nonny nonny, hey nonny, hey nonny nonny no. Some yeah, a load of wandering Italians looking for their grandmother, presumably. Hey. Um, but yeah, really, Michael is the note I've put for the hey nonnies. Uh, but you know, it's it's all right. Isn't it? It's 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 got that main kind of theme in it. It's it's yeah. deep. It's it's overblown and it's silly, and I sure. kind of enjoy its. It's ludicrousness from that point of view. Uh-huh. Uh, I find, like I say, the Mr. Spoon's glows flamenco, which is still coming up, sounds really weird. Right. And then there's a point in it when it just drops. It's, it's about five minutes forty, and it just suddenly turns into the theme from Howard's Way. It's well, it, like, it changes entirely. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes rather than this sort of brooding and a bit, bit scary stuff that's going on. Not scary, but um, slightly minor. Yeah. It goes full major. Yeah. Almost saccharine, sergeant major, something yes, and and it just becomes a, a totally different tune. Because I, you know, I put I put the sounds like the themes from Howard's Way, mm-hmm. and I and I put not yacht rock, 
yacht synth. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's the genre he was aiming at. I don't yeah, know. I'm okay with that. But yeah, so look, I mean, it's an interesting start to the record. I um, think it's the right start because it's a bridge between the first album. It's, it's, it's going to the fans. Yeah. All right, don't worry, I've got you. Here's here's what you remember, and mm-hmm. here's something for your comfort. It's, here's that bit from The Exorcist we liked. Bit. Exactly. Um, but I am going to be doing some... I'm, I'm going to be putting a little bit of enigma in there. Yeah. I'm going to be... Uh, that's what that fucking noise is, isn't it? That That's an enigma there's a, there's noise. A lot, yeah, there's definitely... It's an enigma noise. But the thing noise. is, you, and you can only blame Mike Oldfield for enigma mm-hmm. anyway. That They are his fault. And I, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna say as well, just straight up there, spoilers for the rest of the album. Mm. At no point is this as bad as the Enigma record. Uh, no, as an overall album, no. I think, I think you're, you're safe. I think there's some bits on this I like. Well, that's not what I want that, at all. That's not cool, Michael. Not cool. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, but no, I don't mind this at all. I, I like uh, the bits, the kind of the references that I get yeah. from the bit I know, and the rest of it's okay. Fine, I would have done it with different instruments. I would have done a different sound palette again. Yeah. But fuck it, it is eight minutes long, and it's two different songs. I mean, let's. Look. I mean, there there are some fucking. I mean, in terms of track, I mean, is this different song? So that's I mean, the thing. Like I, when I was writing my notes on this, I was really having to watch to see when the songs had changed. Because exactly. if you if you lock your attention, it's it's a you know it's basically two continuous pieces of music almost. I mean, there are some ex- ex- exceptions to that on the second side, which we'll come into well, later. Yeah. But no, that, well, that's what he did on the first album. Yeah. Tubular Bells 1 was part one and part two on side one and two. Yeah. And that's, he's realistically gone down that route, but he's broken it up into seven songs aside, mm-hmm. um, some of which are two minutes long. But to make full into... use of the uh, CD tracking for some Honestly, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, or skip. It's easier yeah, to skip. Yeah, you can't have you can't have just one track. You can't have two tracks on a CD, Michael. We can have, we can support up to ninety nine. Oh my lord! Use them all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So okay, well that's track one, and then it kind of moves into track two. Uh huh. Yeah, and that's the thing. You as we play these, you'll probably hear a little bit of the previous song yeah. at the start because they do just go straight through. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, track number two is called Dark Star. Mm hmm. Okay, so we've got driving bass. Yeah, this is different. Different to the first one. And then all of a sudden... Interstellar, I would describe this as. There we go, look. There we yeah, are, wow. Interstellar. I've, I've put here um, neon drama, lasers. Lovely. Wacky bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's trying to cross over the, the disco and space rock. Yeah. Yeah. This this is this is people with afros in two short shorts on roller skates to me. Sure. Smiling and singing God knows why. I wonder if he just went if he heard Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds and went, I invented this, mate, I can do this too. Yeah. And this is what he's come up with. This is so bizarre. This is odd, isn't it? Yeah. It starts off with that kind of disco beat, squelchy keyboards and stuff, but then it just gets angrier with these guitars. It's got a bit of Baywatch theme in there. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, again, at some point, it, there's quite a few tubular bells come in yeah. to, to bring it back to the theme. Well, it's like, it's like okay, so it's wacky neon. It, it's, it's the 70s. And now it's Christmas. <laughs> yes, Christmas. <laughs> Which is quite apt, really, because an awful amount of this record 
does sound like when you go around your mate's house on Christmas Day and mm. he's got a keyboard and he goes, look what it can do. And then he does the, the same thing that, that you get the hey nonnies on. And he'll go, listen to this. And he'll sample <laughs> his voice going, hey. And they'll go, hey, 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 hey. And here's a dog bark. Woof, 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 That's always woof, the best one. Yeah. yeah. Always. Hand clap. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then in terms of Christmas, that's another thing I remember, uh, know Mike Oldfield for is... In Dolce Jubilo is on every single Christmas compilation album, and I actually don't mind it as I'm well. I'm trying to remember which record that is. Oh, you, uh, oh, you absolutely know it. <laughs> oh, fucking that thing! Oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> this one. Yeah. Hey, no. Happy Christmas time. Yeah. Eat some quality sweet, <laughs> have a glass of mulled wine. That's uh, yeah, that's his Christmas tune. I bet he's made enough money off that as well to to fund his ridiculous lifestyle. Oh, I'm sure he has. But you know, I bet you he's got zebras in his living room and stuff. Oh, anyway, yeah. good news. Mm-hmm. We have a message from Darren. Oh, you just just come in. Should, should we have a listen to it? Let's go through to the albums and listen to it then. All right, cool. Yeah. Let's do this. All right, natural um, break. All right, so I'll well, tell you what, mate. Right, just in terms of his lifestyle, I, yeah. I looked up some stuff on this, and Mike Oldfield. Sounds like a twat. I'm sure An does, absolute yeah. prick of right. the highest order. I mean, uh, he got famous and very, very rich, very young. Yeah. You know, and that's very rarely a good thing for <laughs> anyone. Um, he's been through like three marriages. He's got seven kids. Fair enough. That's what happens. Not, not an issue. Um, the last marriage was to someone called Fanny Vanderchuve. Of course. Um, and uh, I don't that's definitely not made up. No, definitely not. Um, but he has a penchant for expensive motorbikes and cars. You mm-hmm. know, he was given, I think, a top of the range Bentley by Richard Branson at some point. He's owned Ferraris. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. likes that shit. Um, he likes flying planes. Mm-hmm. You know, he's one of these. He's got far too much money and too much time. He yeah. bought a, a massive mansion in the countryside. He's, you know, the Jamiroquai of uh, of the seventies. Yeah. Um, Oh, and he's a Trekkie, you know. That's all right. It is, but... Slag off Trekkies. Yes, whenever I I think of Oldfield, I go, yeah, that fits. Uh, he's one of these people that moved away from the UK in 2007 because he thought the government were getting too controlling when they brought the smoking ban in. Nice. You know, he was like, oh, big brother, you can't tell me what to do. So moved away. And also it was good for his tax reasons. He has declared his support for uh, President Trump. He's, oh, he's on record as saying he would he wished he could have played the inauguration ceremony. Wow! And is uh, a big supporter of Brexit. Well, they couldn't get anyone for that Trump inauguration no. ceremony. So imagine how far down the list he was. Fucking <laughs> like Oldfield. I well, mean, they got three doors down in instead of. Oh God! Imagine that. Jesus. But then it, it's not exactly a, a party whenever Oldfield's playing live at your inauguration, is it? No, fuck no. No. I, Here's Jubilee Bells. Twenty five minutes. Ding, ding, yeah. Ding. I mean. To be fair, like having the guy that plays the theme from The Exorcist would have been fairly apt at the Trump. Oh, that would have been good. That would have been an excellent piece of television. Exactly. Yeah, true. They've got the guy that did the the omen stuff. Yeah, just massive zoom close up on Trump's face. The thing is, we know that he isn't Damien because Damien, because you'd be able to see the six 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 through his incredibly thin hair. Anyway, right. So all of a sudden, an accordion shows up. Oh, are we still on number two here? Yeah, Dark Star, yeah. Well, it's only two minutes long, this. There's a lot packed in. Oh, they get a lot, and Button Moon comes back again. Yeah, and Tubular Bells throughout to... Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, I... I mean, yeah, I mean it's, come on, man, that's on the name of the album. Well, indeed. Um, 
This is very, very silly. Oh, oh hilariously silly. silly. I think it's it's not terrible because it's... I can't take it seriously, and I'm assuming it probably is supposed to be taken seriously. Oh, I but, can't imagine anything... On, I can't imagine that he's got sense of humour. No, I wouldn't have thought so. But being able to listen to this with a bit of a chuckle in the back of my head, I'm all right. Yep, it, That same. works. It is just stupid. I'm I, I'm enjoying the overblown pomposity of this first. Yes, and at least there's something happening. You yep. know, it, it's it's all going on. Um, it's not washing over me like like some the prog I thought might mm-hmm. happen. Uh, okay, I, I can pick this out. All right. Well, look, let's <laughs> listen to track three, which is called Clear Light. Clear Light, and we would assume, I guess, that this is kind of the flip side of Dark Star because you've got Dark Star and then Clear Light. You've got Dark and Light. And Dark Star is very ominous and full on. Oh, hear that synth bass. Uh, I know. And then Clear Light is like this. It's all very fluffy. Oh, we've got some medieval chords. It's like a harpsichord. He, he loves a bit of that as well. Like you say, the Henry and Lonnie. And you're talking about process guitars. You're talking about noodling. Yeah. There is some advanced noodling going along mm. here. He's really obsessed with these sample core vocals, isn't he? Yeah, they're, 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 I looked up who this was, and it's a woman who I'd never heard of, who is kind of like an opera singer, a well-known opera singer. Of course she So, was. yeah, he's got, got her in to do these very dramatic vocals in this. Well, not dramatic, but very crisp and clear. It's not like that soft choral one. Yeah. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of build-up. You know, it's, it's, it's getting to a, a, a crescendo of, of some ways... There's a lot of different instruments. Here's, here you go. There you go. Bam. We'll follow Mr. Spoon. Yep. Yeah. I've got a note that this makes me think of... Uh, it doesn't anymore because these horns just spoiled it. Yeah. But if someone had a video of like waves on a beach to try and relax you, try and uh, make take you away yeah. in, in a surgery or something... To relax you, that would be that. But then this has happened. Well, yeah, it, it, it went from there to all of a sudden there's there's a wedding in a Disney film, and now a villain has entered. Oh, uh, yeah. With a moustache. He's a nefarious da, da, man. Da, 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 da. And Button Moon. Button Moon. And we're going to have Fucking a reprise hell. of the Exorcist bit in a minute as well. God, listen, that, that, that just gives it that kind of Calypso, Escape from Monkey Island feel, <laughs> doesn't it? Kokomo. Kokomo. <laughs> Kokomo. <laughs> Right, this one is, this is longer. This is like nearly six minutes long, this song. So again, there's a lot of different parts yep. happening and a lot of different ideas sort of coalescing around one main idea, I suppose. But none of it gels with me on this no, one. No, man, this is this is very much like, oh, yeah, I've got, what I want to do, I've, I've got this uh, crude oil that I need to get rid of. Mm. I know, I'll just pour it onto this body of open water. That'll just, it'll just <laughs> yeah, mix sure, in. It'll be fine, won't it? Oh. <laughs> Next thing you know, you've got a dead seagull. <laughs> yeah. I think that was the the, the original title. Yeah, this yeah. One, yeah. So that, that's his, that's album thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't get into this one. No, this is rubbish. It's, it's not. It's nice. rubbish, but it's silly. Uh, I mean, it's it, it wasn't enough to take me out of the album completely. Okay. I, at this point, I'm listening to this with various kind of degrees of incredulity on my face. Like, oh, right, oh, okay. You, you, you never happen, really know where he's going next. All you know is it's going to be stupid. Absolutely. But, it, I, yeah, you never know what particular sounds he's going to employ next. You go, oh, fucking hell, that's unexpected. Yeah. You know, it's one of those compliments that you give when someone gives you food you don't like. You go, that was different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
I mean, all of it probably incredibly technically difficult to put together. Mm. A huge amount of effort going into this. And it's like, yeah, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, you've just prepared a four-course meal of feces. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. incredibly difficult to get that to look like a cake, but when you eat it, it's still shit. <laughs> still essentially shit. What's that on the top? Oh, you've made that. Oh, it's still shit, is it? Flakes of shit. Flakes of oh, shit. Okay. Right. Mm. Oh, oh, tell me more about the process to get there. Mm. Yeah, Trevor Horn, you say. Right. <laughs> oh, you, you, you used some kind of frozen substance to. <laughs> what do you call that fucking shit? They ice magic. Now, what, what the fuck? Ice magic. <laughs> <laughs> I love dice magic. I oh, fucking so did I, yeah. man. It's do lots of different flavors. That all went away. Yeah. Anyway, um, what's the thing that they use to freeze off Verrucas on your feet? And they froze the Terminator with in Terminator Two, liquid nitrogen. Liquid nitrogen. There we go. Right. Anyway. Anyway. Right. Fuck it. It was, it was for a joke that wasn't that funny, but we've uh, used it. This is this is why these recordings are so fucking long. That's true. I just cut all this rubbish out. I wish you could come around and do it, because this is what ADHD does to me. If you could just come around and <laughs> edit come my out, life. Just yeah. Right, okay, so that's that, right? Um, yeah, enough of that. Should, let's do... Uh, so if the last two were kind of concepts... Uh, about you know, kind of the dark star and the clear light. This mm-hmm. one is about a Ford Escort because it's called Blue Saloon. Blue Saloon. Yeah. Little menacing baseline. Yeah. Kind of John Carpentery. Kind of. Not the, now, but. But what we're going to have now is what I can describe as a very old field uh, guitar tone. Here it is. Now, this isn't a sound that is pleasing to human or, as I discovered, corgi ears. Oh, really? Hated it. He didn't like. He seems to. He seems to have mellowed out around it now, but he didn't enjoy it the first time. No. Because listen, it's kind of a blues progression. He's yeah, playing. Yeah, like slide guitar almost, or it's got that. You know, if you had the the metal thing on your finger, and yeah. you're doing that sort of bluesy I, stuff. I've yeah. written the Joe Pasquale blues. Oh God. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this, if Joe Pasquale was like doing a thing where he's like, and this is how I play the blues, this is the thing he'd sound. Or people if, would be creeping up. If um, if he did that, if he had like the Peter Frampton voice box, yeah, and he yeah. was doing do or the, the the little thing in his mouth, and yeah. it was Pasquale doing that through his guitar, this is what you get. There you go. That's wicked. Oh mate, it, I, I don't much like this one. No. This this also reminded me a bit of War of the Worlds. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. Yeah, because it's got that. Yeah, yeah, that's weirdness. And there's only three minutes this one, so again, we're back to what I would call these ones almost as fillers. It's it's just yeah. one part of a larger segment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we but do get to a point strange. in the, the note writing on some of these that I've basically kind of got to a point where I've where I've summed some of these up in a sentence. Uh huh. You know, so oh, I, I, don't, I don't have much more to add to Blue Saloon. It's kind of a darker tone to clear light. I prefer it to clear light. Okay. Because uh, it's got that kind of darker tone. But that guitar sound is wow. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's, it's like, absolutely oh, why, horrible. Why, why have you made your guitar sound like that? Yeah. It's you like could that. choose anything. Yeah. Literally anything in the world to, to have on your piece of music. I mean, you know, again, it's different. Thanks, Mike, for serving me these. That's what my auntie Irene says about things. Different. Yeah. Precisely. Oh, you mean shit and horrible. Yes, I do. Yes, I absolutely do. And I don't want to... I'm just trying not to offend you. But it's weird. It's different. Um, Maybe he's trying something. Maybe he does this one for three minutes, little meander. Yeah. And he's just going, let's see what happens. Fuck it, leave it in. I don't know. I Maybe he... Absolutely loved it and insisted that this become part of the the overture. I wonder if he's just going. Meh, why not? At this point, just chuck it in. See yeah, what happens. Yeah, why not? Why not? See what happens, mate. I mean, there's a. I mean, this is a very 
one-man stream of consciousness. Yeah. These are the ideas I've had, and here they are, edited, although they won't seem like they have been. Yeah, true. God, imagine the outtakes from this, the ones they didn't put on. Mate. Fuck me. Anyway, so look, the next track... Number uh, five. Yeah, this is uh, this is uh, you, you wouldn't want to be found with a file named this on your hard drive. <laughs> this is called Sunjammer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Turns out, apparently, Sunjammer is the name of an Arthur C. Clarke short story, as is The Sentinel. So we've got a sci-fi theme going on. This song just sounds to me like he'd recently been re-watching The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and had several of the notes from the theme tune in his head. Right, on this one, I was really trying to remember what it reminded me of. There was something that reminds me of something very specific. And it could be that. I've got like. Quite like that guitar. It's, it's nice. Doom, doom, doom. I had uh, possibly Frankenstein by the Edgar Winters group or Hocus Pocus by Focus. One of those right. kind of 70s weird, mm-hmm. weirdness. But it might also be Hitchhikers. This is just an odd song, isn't it? Crazy. This is fucking mental. It's two and a half minutes long. And it starts off with, with, well, what we've just heard. And then there's, there's this little well, light you, bit. Well, you've got your tubular bells coming Tube, in. Absolutely. There's your guitar solo. And you, this almost gets played back. Because this is almost sounds a little bit like... Uh, uh, Tell me more what you're gonna do. Yeah, definitely. It's got, it's got that Bo Diddley riff. Yeah. And there's a bit of honky-tonk piano in it at some point as well. Because why not? Chuck it in. Button Moon. Yep. Fucking hell. With a sparkly. Yeah. This is brass constructions like play the theme to Button Moon. <laughs> thing is, when you put it like that, I'm like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to this, I'm like, okay. No. Very strange. Very, very strange. And yes, it is because we, like we said, it's part of a larger piece. Yeah. And so the journey he's taking us on or whatever it is, Maybe it works in context. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more of a... If you sit back in a, in a room and just let it go. But when you're going... So this song here, this is about what? And this is very straight. Look, right? Mm. The lump of smegma under my bell end mm. is, is part of a bigger piece. <laughs> but it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that that part isn't disgusting. Sure. <laughs> or I want any bit of the bigger piece, yeah. <laughs> or, or that I should send you a photo of it. <laughs> Oh lord! Well, let's listen to Red Dawn. No, no, let's, oh, no, no that, that's five tracks. Let's uh, let's take a break. Oh fuck! Oh, what a shame. Uh, yeah, let's take a break and uh, look at the albums. Oh, I was really enjoying that. I wanted to do Red Dawn. <laughs> right, fine. Let's listen. Let, let's listen to what Darren's got to say. Oh right, okay. So, Tubular Bells 2 by Mike Oldfield. What, what do I remember about this album? Well, it actually is, is, was a significant album. Up until this point, uh, the, all the music that I had been listening to while I was doing my paper round and things like that was all this kind of new age electronica stuff, things like Mike Oldfield, John Zeljar, Vangelis, music that I was actually brought up on. So it was actually uh, quite excited when the second album or the sequel album, should I say, was announced 
And there was that air of nervousness that you might get when, you know, like they make a sequel to your favourite film or something like that, because Tubular Bells 1 was definitely a kind of seminal album for us, really. It was something that was played a lot at home. It was something that I know and loved and listened to often. So when the second album came out, I, I specifically remember picking it up on, on CD. I remember my dad getting home from work and, and sitting down and saying, right, you know, th- let's have a listen. And I also remember that sense of relief that sort of two or three minutes in when, when the first track kicks in and it's instantly recognisable as not only Mike Oldfield with his characteristic guitar tones and things like that, but very, very recognisable as a, as a Tubular Bells sounding album. I remember there was that sort of sense of relief and, well, thank God, you know, he hasn't copped this up and uh, this is something that we're hopefully going to uh, enjoy and live with over the next few months. And indeed we did. Yeah, I remember, I remember listening to it and I remember the first track, Sentinel, kicking in and, wow, this is really nice. This is really good. This is that kind of dark, brooding Mike Oldfield sound that I'm very much drawn towards. I mean, he's, he's always kind of had a real mix of, of, of musical styles and all of his music. I think he prides himself on it. Looking at his discography, you'll see that there's everything from world music to music based on the cosmos to, to lots of different things and his travels around the world and experiences that he's had. But Tubular Bells in particular, I always found very eclectic going from, as I say, the dark brooding stuff that, that I'd still like and listen to now. And then there's some of the more, for me, more throwaway kind of jolly honky-tonk stuff that comes in. I mean, I specifically remember, I mean, one, one of the tracks came in um, one with the, the, the sort of really funny vocal on it, vocals on it. I think it's called Altered State, if I remember rightly. It's got a really kind of aggressive vocal. I remember me and my dad sitting there and laughing, just literally sitting there and laughing, listening to an album. You know, it's, it's not a comedy album, but it was certainly something that we found comedy in, and, and still do to this day. But it was played now. I'm sure me and me and my dad had exactly the same reaction. So, um, so yeah, it was it was a very significant album. It was something that that when it came, I was nervous listening to, but was very happy that it was it was delivered in the way it was i mean particular highlights the the the, the title track or the first track sorry sentinel very good uh, the track sunjammer uh, blue saloon and and the bell all very much for me are typical mike oldfield tracks and the sort of mike oldfield music that i would gravitate to, towards some of the more sort of jolly i'm going to use the word cheesy stuff wasn't something that i was particularly into but it's, it's always been part of his sound so yeah tubular bells 2 good album i've just listened to it again for the first time in oh god i can't remember now it's probably 10 maybe even as much as 15 years that i've sat down and actually listened to that album sort of start to finish and, and thoroughly enjoyed it in fact i've just i've just opened up spotify and started a mike oldfield playlist it's kind of reignited my uh, my passion for for him as an artist and uh Certainly something that I'll enjoy listening to for the rest of my life anyway. That's good, because that does say some of the stuff that we like. It just says it in a very different way to the way we're going to say it. Yes. Yes, indeed. Some of that is not not a spoiler for you know our views at all, but it's preparing you for some bits that are coming up. Anyway, so let's do the albums. Right, yes. Okay, so like I said at the top... Um, the time period that we're looking at, this was the, the Michael Oldfield album was number one from the 6th of September for two weeks. But... We'd had uh, Kylie Minogue's greatest hits for three weeks previous to this, mm-hmm. and then uh, Genesis' "We Can't Dance" went back, and the best of the Smiths went for, to number one for a week. So we've actually got a month or so to look at. We're looking at the sixteenth of August to the nineteenth of September. Forget that Kylie Minogue greatest hits. Mm. I mean, she hadn't really had any at that point. I mean, she'd, well, had, she'd had like. I mean, if you think about Kylie Minogue as an artist yeah. now. And you think about what songs you would consider to be on her greatest hits. None of them had probably been released by this point. Yeah, first one was '88, wasn't it? Uh, I should be so lucky. Yeah, I should be so lucky. I mean, you know. Yeah. So you got I should be so lucky. Better the devil, you know. Um, 
Step Back in Time. Uh, je ne sais pas pourquoi. No, I think that was after. No, no, Tears on my pillow was second hard. Album too. Was it? Okay, but you've had you will have had ten singles, I guess, and they've just chucked them all on home. It prob- yeah. it pro- I would imagine uh, it was a contract fulfillment clause. I bet you. I bet you it was just before she left PWL. Yeah. Because well, we've already discussed. Confide yeah. in me was yeah. Because we've we've discussed, haven't we? Her putting something out on um, was it on deconstruction? Yeah, or something that, like that was one of our quiz questions. The first yeah. one, yeah, I think ninety four was confide in me. She did on deconstruction, but she left PWL in ninety three. So yeah, this is just yeah, bunging go. it out. There you go. Right. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, we've got we've got almost five weeks of stuff to look at. Uh, but uh, we'll start with the top 10 in the week of um, September the 6th to the 12th, which was the first week that the, the Oldfield album was number one. Uh, in, at number 10 is Michael Jackson's Dangerous back into the top 10. And there was a single out. Yeah. Obviously, that was uh, the thing. Number nine is Neil Diamond's Greatest Hits. Uh, number eight is a new entry with a Paul Weller's self-titled album, Paul Weller. Uh, number seven is The Best of the Smiths, which we just mentioned. Number six is Eric Clapton's Unplugged. Uh, number five is Annie Lennox Diva, mm-hmm. which has gone back done. into top ten. Done it. Yeah. Number four, uh, Lionel Richie's Back to Front, which we saw was like number one for about six weeks or something crazy yep. in the summer. Uh, number three is Cali Minogue's Hits. And number two is another new entry and obviously would have been number one had it sold a few more, Roxette Tourism. Oh, we almost did that one. Oh, it's a shame we didn't. I, I would think I would have enjoyed getting into it. Yeah, that. I mean, I think this Mike Holford album is up there with the kind of records that you want to listen to for this podcast. Oh, totally. Yeah, exactly. We, we you got to take a load of different things. Yeah, I wish we'd, I wish we'd had, got to have fun. a go at Roxette. Not, yeah. not enough to do a special, I've got to say. Oh, God, no. Uh, okay, so there's your top ten. Um... Other albums released, and there's loads, loads here. So, Ugly Kid Joe, America's Least Wanted, yep. which we've talked about before. Uh, which I had. Sh- indeed. Sugar, Copper Blue, got to number 10. Yeah, I know that album relatively well, actually. Really good album, it is absolutely. A good album. Uh, one of those ones that I remember reading about loads in the NME because it was oh, Bob Mould from Husker Du is back with yep. the new band. I didn't really give a shit about it. I didn't even know who Husker Du were at the point. But uh, because it was talked about so much, and I really liked the first single, A Good Idea, I was interested in this, and then they were on that Nirvana, no, uh, no Nirvana yeah. uh, thing from on BBC Two. Really enjoy Copper Blue, just decent American kind of alternative music. Yeah, exactly that. Good big tunes, great college rock tunes, really. Exa- exactly um, that. What I would say though, Krista, just to point out to you, is if we ever want to be on Radio Six Music, which, which yeah, you know, do, we have to pronounce it Husker Du, like every other cunt. Oh uh, yeah, Husker Du, Husker Du. Yeah. Oh mate. There's, uh, I'm sure there's other bands that you know I had only read about in the 90s that I yeah. had decided were pronounced one way and found out afterwards. I just can't be arsed changing my yeah, way. I, I found compl- I felt felt completely the same when I found it was actually pronounced Chumbawamba. Chumbawamba, twats. Yeah. Pop lead itself. The looks or the lifestyle got to number uh, 15 at this point. Tom Waits Bone Machine got to number 26, and I'm not a Waits fan. I don't know that, but I, 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 I mean, know Bone Machine is one of his more well-known ones. I like Tom Waits, but I am a on a very a kind of top level. Yeah, it, again, intimidating back catalogue. Yeah, I mean, I know Tom Waits mostly from uh, being the voice of Tommy the Cat. That, that's that's fair enough. Uh, Thunder. Released Laughing on, on Judgment, Judgment Day. Day. You know that? Yeah, yeah, I've always hated fucking Thunder. I've always hated Thunder. I got to number two in the charts. Mate, they, were, Matt, they were an enormous band, man. They were enormous Thunder. They were one of those big... They were playing fucking huge venues. Like, the British rock community Jesus, really, really, really embraced Thunder. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, fair enough. I know they still play festivals these days. So, that, uh, yes, they must have a following. They must have a cachet of 
not cool because that's not what they are, but they've got uh, some stuff behind them. Well, I, I never I, knew they were I mean, that think, big at the I time. I think Danny from the band is big in in rock management. I think he's oh, he? one of the bigger hit figures in okay. rock band management. And behind stuff like the that. scenes. Yeah. Fair enough. As a lot of those guys did, a lot of those guys had a bit of kind of, uh, you know, organisational muscle about them. Got, right. got involved in the industry, didn't they? Okay. Well, fair enough. Well, I'm just a made number two. But fucking hell, we almost had to do that album. Well, we didn't. So no, no that's fine. Uh, take that and party you got the number five mm-hmm. which i think is is it their first album that is the first record, yeah, yeah that's the first one and, and, unless they had some kind of little release yeah. but it was it was their it was their it, big, the big debut through. and i think i think it is. that's all it is yeah yeah um we, we i know that we see a lot more of take that in 1993 sure they released single after single after single at that point but yeah this this got to number five still so it's a big deal ish mm-hmm. but this is the first time we've really seen Did that anything. Did ever get to number one? Presumably we have to do this album at some point. Not this one, no. Really? No, I wouldn't oh, have made okay. a note if we did. Right. Uh, but I, they probably released their next album three months later, because that's what happened. Right. Um, we definitely have to do one of them, anyway. Um, Bobby Brown released Bobby. Uh, got to number 11. Okay. Did you have that? Mm, oh, hang on. No, I had Don't Be Cruel. Okay. I had Don't Be Cruel. I didn't have the... That was so, like so presumably, was it? has got two can play at that game and something. Because right? uh, the first album, the first, it's got the lead three singles in the in the order. It's Don't Be Cruel, My Prerogative, and uh, Every Little Step. Oh, okay. Absolute bangers. Those are all good, but the big big tunes, yeah, sure. Um, uh, Babes in Toyland, released Fontanelle. We've got mm-hmm. number 24. Big one for me, and I know you love this too. Uh, Brand new heavies, heavy ram experience oh, came out in this period. Got only got to thirty eight, which, to be honest, is higher than I thought it would have done. Sure, I wouldn't have thought it would have got top forty I, at I, all. I, I'm almost scared to hear that again. I might put that on later. Still, still brilliant. Does it still hold still up? Brilliant. I mean, it's a bit, I, there was a couple of songs that I never really gelled with on yeah. there. Um, the one that the the jump and move one, the yeah. kind of the more ragga yeah. influence ones. They, I haven't come round to them, but the ones with main source and guru. Yeah. Still fucking. See, I, I still don't. I suppose it's that it's that it's that it's the funk, jazz disconnect. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. Because for me, I hold heavy rhyme experience and jazzmatazz in the. I hold those in the same headspace. Of course. Uh, I I would too, but I because there are obvious comparisons. Yeah. Definitely are. But uh, it was always this one for me over jazzmatazz. Yeah. I, I think that first jazzmatazz album is spectacular. I think the second one's hit and miss. The right. first one's fantastic. Well, you see, I think this is brilliant. And it's. I remember whenever I was working in HMV in the late 90s, this was one album that I would recommend to people. If they were buying something even slightly similar, yeah. I would go, just so you know, this is a wicked album. You might want to give it a try and try and push it on people because it's not well known at all. No. Um, obviously, in certain circles it will be. And for anyone who doesn't know, basically it's the brand new heavies, uh, as the backing band on about 10 different tracks with a different MC or a couple of MCs mm-hmm. on each one. So you get a lot of different styles of flow, but you get the brand new heavies or the constant throughout doing a really nice sort of uh, just low-slung funk backing on a lot of stuff. If you ever dug deeply into your uh, kind of your new metal towards the back end of the 90s, uh, what the Guru track was covered... Uh, on the first The Urge album. Oh, really? Yeah, The Urge, who okay. supported... When when Korn came over touring the second album, it was uh, in- Incubus and uh, and The Urge that opened for him. Oh, I see, okay. Yeah, there you right. go. And what is that? It's getting hectic. That's a guru. It's getting one. hectic. It's, it's getting, getting crazy. crazy. It's getting hectic. Wow, it's getting, getting wild. wild. Yeah. Wow. Now, I, I would definitely recommend Heavy Rhyme Experience. Anyone, anyone who likes a bit of funk or a bit of hip-hop, it's a really good amalgamation of the two. Record. It's a great record. I need to listen to it again, though. I haven't heard it for a minute. Nice. Uh, Throwing Muses released Red Heaven. Uh, got to number 13, which is, again, another big 
you know, for top top twenty for throwing muses on. Yeah, I think I'm it's surprised. Pretty, I'm surprised. Pretty that. high. I have thought they'd have got that high. Yeah. Um, Fear Factory released Soul of a New Machine in 1992. Yeah, which I, I didn't know they had anything going. No, nah, they had their industrial stuff going on. It. They right. didn't kind of. They kind of found their stride around. Like kind of ninety four, didn't they? Like when yeah. when I didn't go ninety five, ninety six, wasn't it? Well, when I mean, Edge Crusher and shit like that. They, they had a they had a run. They had a three or four album run, didn't they? Where mm. they got because I mean they were like a they were headlining Brixton and that kind of size venue. Yeah, you know, Burton you know, Burton C Bell was being very lauded as one of the. I, I never really got it. I, oh, I still got a couple don't. of good tunes. They got a couple of really couple, good tunes. But well, I, I'm predisposed. I'm predisposed to like that kind of stuff. You know, mm. I really like my industrial and that. But I just I just never got it. It always just seemed bullshit to me. Right. Yeah, well, I, again, I didn't even realise they were doing anything in 1992. Uh, Screaming Trees released Sweet Oblivion, which I must admit I never had. Oh, I uh, love right. the singles, but mm. never... I don't, it was one of those ones I probably just never saw the album in the shops to, to get. Yeah, I, I don't didn't I, chart at I, all. I don't have an original. I've had yeah. it on various tapes and copies oh, okay, over the sure. years. But, I, you know, it's an album that I do sometimes listen to on Spotify nice. if I'm in a kind of a grungy mood. Fair enough. Yeah, but it didn't even get top 75 over here. I think it was obviously limited release... The record label wasn't. I mean, I shit. nearly lost you. Is that's brilliant. One of the best grunge Absolutely. singles. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Dollar bill, brilliant. Uh, KMFDM released money. Mm-hmm. Never give a shit. Fair I got enough. Friends, uh, regular listen, listener to this podcast, Phil Guthrie. I know he likes him. Mm-hmm. I know that he put a lot of their stuff on tapes for me. Never nah, no, I never, I never got KFM, wasn't for me. KMFDM either, really. Yeah. Um, Red House Painters released Down Colourful Hill, which is another band that I remember reading about, Melody Maker, uh, as one of these kind of very lauded and respected American yeah. indie bands. Never, I don't think I even heard anything uh, for a couple of years after this. Yeah, I mean, I, I guarantee, like, there's there's probably a load of Red House Painters songs that you know that you don't very possibly think are theirs. But I could, again, exactly couldn't tell the same. you. Couldn't couldn't tell you an album. Not 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 close. Right. Uh, and the last one I got a note of here, and I know you're a fan of the band, is Morphine with Good. And do you remember that? I don't remember I don't that. Ninety two. I don't remember Good. No, I, no. I, I still don't really know that record. Um, not at I all. mean, I, I love Morphine. Mm. Um, what a fucking band that. Uh, you got to see news. them live as well, didn't you? Well, no, we had tickets. Yes oh. and no is the answer. That we had ticket. A load of us had tickets to go and see him. Uh, I think a Forum or Garage or something like yeah. that on the tour where because he he like the singer died on stage. Oh yeah, like fucking uh, Chile or somewhere. I can't remember, but I can't Italy, remember. Maybe, maybe, but, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, we had tickets for that. But years later, the rest of the band play under a different name uh, and I, I don't know if they still do but they used to play like a, a residency at this kind of Irish bar in Boston uh-huh. and when I went out to visit my cousin Megan shout out to Megan uh, she took me there to see them oh, and, okay. they, and they play, and they had like a they have a, a like a kind of a, an open door of vocalists and other musicians kind of just came in and they would play uh, morphine songs and other comp- compositions of theirs and stuff and I see. Fucking wonderful! They was played, it good? Yeah, yeah. They played two or three sets, and they played loads of the songs that I knew and loved. And it was. And it, it didn't was, sound like you know. Ah, oh, well, I suppose this is this will do. No, it, wasn't like that. It, it, it was. It was. I mean, obviously you're missing his voice. Yeah, sure. But it was wonderful. Okay, I, that's I, was, wicked, I, I was like proper. Ah, oh, this is fucking great. Um, Very uh, cool. Yeah, it was. It was really, really good. Well, yeah, fair enough. I again, I was surprised to see this pop up in the lists because I didn't know that they were going. In '92, but there you go. There's your albums. Five weeks worth of albums in there. Lovely. What I what I take away from that is an awful lot of like the American indie stuff. So throwing muses, Red House Painters, Sugar, Mm -hmm. 
lots of that coming through and making an impact on the UK charts. Yes, indeed. You know, actually not just being at number 63. Are we calling this the ghost of REM, do you think? Are we thinking that like uh, because you know REM hits so big that, that labels are looking to see what else they can find in I that think college it, rock? I think it's just all in the wake of Nirvana. I think, you think? Yeah, I think it's... Uh, it, especially when you think of the music press writing about stuff, when Nirvana hit... Anyone who was, you know, in the, in their slipstream was suddenly written about, and they were trying to latch on to yeah. whatever was going on in, you know, Indiana or whatever it was, and so stuff that wouldn't have been touched in 1990 was suddenly okay. This could be the new one yeah, for '92. I think it was that, okay. but obviously the the REM thing definitely doesn't hurt. You know, it, it, well, everything hurts. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely definitely would be something along those lines as well. But I think if Nirvana hadn't happened, they would still be charting at sixty three, and twenty people would be buying it, and that'd be it. But yeah, okay, there you go. Okay, so let's uh, back into uh, the middle part of Jupiter Bells two. So this is uh, yeah, this this bit is called a Red Dawn. No, all right. So this is track number six. Yes, and this is realistically. You know, we, we we should have gone on from the previous one because this is absolutely an extension of that. Yeah. Drama. Drama. It's only two under two minutes long, yeah. this one. Drama. Slidey, slidey. Yeah. We've built a little bit of atmosphere. Fuck knows why. For a one minute fifty song. Apparently he's taken to calling this one just Russian these days. Changed it. It was called Red Dawn, but he now refers to it as Russian. Oh, which look. kind of makes sense for the sound of this. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a Hamlet fucking cigar ad. Yes. Or oh, yes, you know, a sad love song for a film. I, I can definitely, you know, in my head, picture uh, a, a very cold street in yeah. Russia. People walking and down there. Yeah, a man pulling a sled behind him. Yeah. Uh, oh, we've uh, gone into an Ennio Morricone team. Definitely Morricone, yeah. So, like, so, I mean, what would... I mean, if, if those were spaghetti westerns, what would this be? Like a borscht western? <laughs> a borschten. A borscht. Oh, God. <laughs> this, this is an interlude. Yeah. Well, then it, it does something weird, though, doesn't it? Well, yeah, okay, so we're now... Uh, we're, we're kind of 1 minute 20 into this, of a 1 minute 50 yeah. song, and it's done this for a little minute. Yeah. But then, yeah. All of a sudden, it turns into a hoedown in a medieval town. Yeah. So there's this kind of weird dance bit going on. I'm having sex with my horse. So, yeah, just, again, strange juxtaposition of signs. And we might as well just play this through because now we're into the next one. The bell. The bell. Which is presumably Mike uh, Oldfield's uh, nickname in high school. Quite. <laughs> you know, he, so, look, he's he, unable to wear regular pants. Oh, yeah? yeah he's got tubular balls. Nice. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. So he's, what he's doing here is showcasing what I am sure is a very impressive guitar technique. Okay. To anyone that cares. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can draw your own conclusions about whether I do or not. Yes. This was a single. This was the third single of the oh, album. Oh, yeah, obviously. And this, this is also a, a reimagining of one of the ones off the first album. Yeah. So now we're starting to open out into some kind of 
almost West End musical backing vocals. Oh. Okay. Well, again, this is a build. This is a seven-minute song, mm-hmm. and it's a build and a build and a build. Well, it's seven minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure it's a song. Right. It's a list. And here comes fucking Hans Gruber. Yes, indeed. Just naming instruments. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, this is Alan Rickman as the master of ceremonies. Yeah. Now, this, at this point, I made the note, this is very white. <laughs> this is so white. Mate, in an album of fucking yeah, white. Yeah. This Reed is, this is like, arctic in its never-ending whiteness. Okay. This is like a blizzard of a song. And start, I mean, this is like that bit in any Guns N' Roses show where Axl Rose introduces the band and it goes on for too long and you uh-huh. think, what the fuck's he going to do next? Who's this bloke? Yeah. Uh, oh, and here's Tracy and Roberta here to help you. And sure. He, and, and here is, um, there's some fucking weird, here are two slightly sampled electric guitars. Yep. Fuck off. Yeah. Uh, the Venetian effect. What's that, waterlogged? <laughs> I think he's just blind. I've no idea, man. Like, but but the thing is, right, like, we'll just skip through to, skip through to the end of this because it does build and build and build uh-huh. and it just gets this point at the end where it's like the bell is ringing and it's all right really el- like elegiac uh-huh. and I'm just imagine like a giant bell rising from the ground people are surrounding it holding hands all right but then snap surprise the bell is Jesus oh god <laughs> I see it's, it's, it's some sort of like maple ceremony yeah yeah okay well, the, the end of this song uh, and, you know, we've got several minutes to get there. I just describe it sounding like Christmas around the Lion King's house. <laughs> Wicked. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's nice. The, the only thing that I like about the fact that Alan Rickman is just naming these yeah. instruments, at least we get a warning. Yeah. Because like, uh, when he says that, I'm going, all right, I might stop now then. Yeah. Two slightly sample electric guitars. Uh, right, and despite the fact that everything I've said so far about this song may send you in the opposite direction. Uh-huh. Made, I actually quite like this song. Oh, do you? I think it's, oh, really? I think it's ridiculous. And in, I think this is the perfect ending to this overblown first half of the this, record. This is the end of side one, yeah. essentially. This is absolutely, this is the, the, the closure of yeah. part one of this thing. I mean, what it fucking sounds like and, and the length of it, it's like the kind of music that would play over the closing credits of a Mario game. Oh, yeah, really? Well, yeah, I mean, the closing credits of a Mario... Have you ever completed a Mario game? Never you, played one, there, right? there are about 15 minutes worth of credits, because... These what fucking is this? sounds... This is, is this, I think this is digital sound processor. Oh, of course, mate, yeah. Uh, and here is Tribal Secretary. <laughs> here what? is... Wasn't that a, a Rebel MC song? Probably. Here is... Uh, amniotic... Am, ambi- sorry, ambiotic Tidal Wave. Here is... Cress. Here is... <laughs> Here is Simon Says. Yeah. Here is Boke. <laughs> and here we go, tubular bells. Here we go. But this is the bit where I'm like, uh, look, the camera's rotating, the bell right. is coming from the ground. And all of a sudden, that's the story of Jesus. <laughs> a light shine down, brilliant. Oh, man. But yeah, you're right, it's just nonsense words to an extent. Yeah. It, it's, it sounds like someone's playing a joke on Alan Rickman and yeah. going no seriously just tell him to read these out no no no, no, no this is definitely the uh, no it's the, it's the new John Lewis Christmas act 
No, 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 no. Venetian effect. It's a thing. It's yeah. like, don't you worry, mate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I did go through, and I reckon of, of all the things that he has to read out and say, so you got grand piano, reed and pipe organ, glockenspiel, bass guitar, vocal cords, two slightly sampled electric guitars, the Venetian effect, digital sound processor, and tubular bells. Mm-hmm. I think if I had to pick a favourite, mm-hmm. I would just go for Grand Piano because I know what I'm getting with Grand Piano. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I, I know what that is and it sounds like one. If I had to pick a, a least favourite, it's going to be the digital sound processor. But that is, it's that, fucking awful. It is awful. I just mean, terrible. What's he done? No idea. He's wankered up everything is what he's mm. done. He's probably taken quite a nice sound and fucked it with an inch of its life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then thrown out of the house crying. I would have, I'd have rather, I'd have rather he'd eaten a song and farted it out. Totally, mate. Absolutely. But okay, I do have a note. You're saying that in general, yeah, you're okay with this. Yeah, yeah. I got a note saying that if if this had different instrumentation, yeah, there are some tune tune bits in there I'm okay with. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's, it's not the worst. I, I've listened to this with a smile on my face right. because of how fucking stupid it is. It's insane. Yeah, and I, I, I love that that someone got to sit down very seriously and put this together. Uh-huh. What I also like is if Mike Oldfield ever heard this podcast, how annoyed he'd be by us. <laughs> dissing his uh, Venetian effect. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. You could never fucking do that. What are you doing? You're absolutely right. Sit in front of a microphone with... Listen to the way your sounds. Yeah. You, you, you haven't balanced this. You haven't balanced this. Uh, do, you, do you know what this would sound like through a set of large quadraphonic speakers? <laughs> Tubular bowls. Tubular bowls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Apparently, whenever he first got uh, the tubular bells that he used, he needed to cushion them for sound, so he just covered them in sort of loads of curly hair. They were tubular bells. Okay, yeah, mm. that does make sense now you've said it out yeah, loud. Of course, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, I'd wondered if that had happened. It, yeah, quite. Um, you've had too much fucking time on your hands. Oh, mate, you? I really have. <laughs> yeah, I, do you know that um, when he was listening to this, half of half of the recording, mm. all of the uh, the left panning, stereo tracks for the entire recording uh, basically just got distorted slightly and fell down at like kind of a weird angle mm. and stayed that way for several months until they that. returned to normal yeah they had uh, tubular bells palsy wow wow real <laughs> <laughs> holy shit <laughs> you want to fucking start this game with me again do you <laughs> uh, this, this is no game <laughs> Sake. Last time this happened, people got hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. 2020 does not need anything else going wrong. No, so right. What are we going to do? Are we going to. Go oh, straight into straight part into, two, I guess. Okay, so this is track two, which is called. Cool. Sorry, side two, track one, uh, or track what is eight. It? eight? Yep. Yeah, if you want to. Yep. It's called Weightless. Yes. Which is kind of. Lightly gentle, it's like almost the start of a incidental orbital single. Yes, yes, very true, actually. Oh, some more sort of dreamy synth vocals. Mm-hmm. I can only assume from looking at the clientele on who, who did this record, mm-hmm. uh, there are a few different people on vocals. One of them was the woman who does the opera stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a woman called Susanna Melvoin. 
Melvoin. Yes, and you'll probably you, you'll know where I'm going with this. Who did backing tracks, uh, backing vocals on a few tracks of this? I, so I assume this is probably her because it's it's kind of to the fore. It's, it's a definite female yeah. vocal. Uh, she is the twin sister of Wendy Melvoin. Of course, yeah. Who uh, was one half of Wendy Me and Lisa? Lisa. Who, yeah. Exactly. Who were one part of uh, Prince's Revolution yeah. backing band? Um, and so Susanna, who's on this, also for a while was in the Revolution. She also became part of the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, another of Prince's ensembles, and uh, she was engaged to Prince for a while, oh, really? and he wrote "Nothing Compares to You" about her. Nice about this woman who's singing on here. No, um, no nothing compares to you though, isn't that? We discussed about it. Is cleaner. It's about his cleaner. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other story, I guess. Yeah, the yeah. official story, I guess. Yeah. What, what he what he will have told Susanna Melvoin yeah, is yeah. he wrote it for her. Not by his cleaner. All the flowers that you planted, Mama. <laughs> yeah. My cleaner. All the ironing that you did. Yeah. Yeah. All the comfort that you used on my shirt, <laughs> Mama. So yeah, that's who this might be. And this is this is pleasant. It's fine. I uh, see. I I think this one's a bit boring. Oh, it's very boring. It's pretty, uh, I, very I, ironically, boring. for a song called Weightless, it lacks a bit of gravitas, ah, a bit of weight. Yeah. It's, it's just, after it, all the craziness of the of the first record, all the the th- kind of threads that were picked up and mm. then discarded, and for all the chaos and the stuff that I found a lot of fun, it, yeah. n- none of that is present in this. It's a it's a right. bit more like kind of it's a bit more magnolia, isn't it? It's a, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's five minutes of nothing as well. Oh, it re- and it goes on, and it, and it, it just adds more panpipes through it. What I found as well is these eight minute songs on here because they change so much. You don't ever really get the chance to get bored with them up to this right, point. Okay, yeah. And this is the first one I was like, oh, fucking skip to, skip to the end. Fine. You know, kind of skip it. Like, when, when I was listening back to it, writing my notes, like, always, I always listen to things in full, but sometimes when I'm listening to, when I'm writing my notes, I'll just skip a track forward a little bit. Yeah, just like, to go, like, where are the changes on this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I mean, all, all, I, all you need to know really is that's a five minute track and I've got like four lines worth of notes on here. That's enough. So, yeah. What anyway. You, have you got anything else, like, specific no, or just... No, I mean, it really... It, it goes I, on I didn't on really find... I don't really find anything specific to hang my little hat on. No, no, I'm fine. We're just skipping that one, really. Uh, next one, number nine, The Great Plain. Yep. Which is spelled P-L-A-I-N, yes. not P-L-A-N. Indeed, it's not about a 747. No. Those are great planes. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> we are back in the Old West here. We are. Well, the, I suppose The Great Plain would evoke uh, a Western... Uh, yeah, it's kind you. of Grapes of Wrath, Dust Bowl. Sure. But actually, the thing is, now you said it earlier, it does sound like The Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's maybe that he's going for a more expansive uh, thing on this second side. Is it reminding you of something in particular? Yeah. Is it Bon Jovi's Blaze of Glory? No, but it's, <laughs> there's something. I think it's too fleet. There was a minute there. There's like a little movement that really reminded me of something, but I right. think it's too fleeting to pin Fair down. Enough. I thought that this one sounded a bit like the Killing Field soundtrack that I remember. So yeah. it's that sort of a thing about it. Well, for me, I think you get these. When it starts with these bigger flourishes, which are just kind of coming yeah. here. What I was this, I was going. I bet you any money that 
like over the next couple of years, probably to this day, uh-huh. if you walk around the Edinburgh Festival and you go and see any of the number of interpretive dance songs, right? I bet you it because this just seems like a song to do interpretive dance to. I'm just seeing hands, sure. movements, and sure. leotards and lycra. And there's got a couple tin whistles coming in. Well, I, I, you you would know what those are. Well, indeed. Yeah. Now I think this is. Really, really noodling around. Oh, this is look. This is this is this is cinematic music for a film that doesn't exist. Sure, um, which but, can be fine. Which can be fine, but no, I don't fancy seeing this film. No, I don't want to see this well, film. I don't I, want to see any of these four films that he's trying to evoke so far in this. What, song. what I particularly don't want to see is uh, is what these fucking private school dance students are dancing to. I don't want to see their dances. Mm. I don't want to hear them identify themes and I don't want to hear them say and at the end it was all about AIDS. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Click. Yeah. Hang on. It was all about AIDS. Lovely. Um the, on, the only... one, one more. Hang on. Oh, God. <laughs> Give that man a grant. <laughs> that is literally some people's fucking four years worth of oh, work. Oh, I mean that reminds me of um, your man who did Dennis Penis. Oh yeah, uh, is in there's some sitcom where he just shouts on a stage. Oh, it's fucking uh, it's uh, David Williams. It's spaced. Oh, it is spaced. Yeah, it's, um, Hoover and, and um, vagina. Uh, what, what's her name? Um, oh shit. But yeah, it's that, the Hoover one. Yeah, okay. the most beautiful woman that ever exists happens to be a man. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It, it's just absolute nonsense. I The only other note I've got on this is that I had thought up to this point that he had used up all of his terrible sound choices mm. uh, already. Yeah. But he finds new ones on this song. Oh, for sure, just man. dreadful shit that he's making me listen to. Volva was what the character was called. Volva, that's her. Uh, so, yeah. The other thing I put is that you've already ad- uh, admitted, and I'm saying admitted like it's a bad thing, but you're, yeah. you've said you don't mind a bit of prog sometimes. Yeah. I'm not a fan of prog in general. I've not really tried very hard, mm-hmm. but I am much more of a, I like a concise, I like a single. Mm-hmm. You know, I like a, an easy tune, an easy thing to get into. And so I've always written prog off, for the most part, as probably not going to be into that because it'll be a bit more difficult for me to it's more challenging and I can't be arsed yeah. is the, the thing lazy lazy it totally is this is the sort of thing that I'm scared of in prog yeah I'm going you know it, in my head this is prog and therefore I'm going god this is bad and I also think you've probably been somewhat you know like whether you whether you kind of I don't think you could help because you were reading the NME from like mm-hmm. the late 80s early 90s yeah, and the kind of the the utter vindictiveness that those publications showed to anything that wasn't fucking punk and haphazard in mm. in that regard anything that was vaguely proggy was so like kind of vilified looked, yeah looked down upon yeah. that you know that's uh, probably seeped through probably has absolutely but you know, my my love of kind of proggy stuff came from you know came from listening to Tool and then the stuff that I got into from because that. Of that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, fair enough. But yeah, this this to me is what I suspect is bad about prog. You know, th- if someone's put this on and said, "Here you go," I go, "This is bad prog, isn't it?" And they go, "Well, isn't it just prog?" And I've been on this is just bad. This no, yeah, is well, bad. good. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. is definitely bad prog. Yeah. All right, so the next yeah. track is called Sunset Door. Mm. It's what I call my anus. Lovely. Sunset, you implying that the sun shines out of your arse. 
I'm saying that, that what comes out of my anus is incredibly hot and harmful to well, it's be definitely exposed to. Hot and gassy, yes. You, you, if, you, if you got it on your skin, you'd get cancer. Right, yes, that is very true. Um, so, yeah, very medieval here. Yeah. Now, what uh, I like is from time to time... Let's see if we can get, get to one of the flourishes here. Right. So we're in this very kind of medieval kind of... but. Medieval passed through a, uh, a Bon Tempe. That, well, that, that little bass thing went boom, boom. Yeah, but that's weird. That, that, that bass, when it comes in, very, very much too high in the mix, right? Much too high. What it feels like to me is it's it's threatening funk, right? So, like, you've got you've got this <laughs> nice. army of, like, kind of hassock-wearing white people pushing against a door, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Trying to keep the music in this frame. And every now and again, it just kind of pushes back, and this little bit of funk comes it's through. Like George Clinton pokes boom, his head around. It's like, no, we're going to keep this as wide <laughs> as we can. We can't allow... We can't allow any rhythm into this motherfucker. Right, I see. Um, and, like, at the end of this song, they've won, because you never hear any more of it. <laughs> well, white people usually do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God, imagine this. Ridiculous. Awful. Absolutely ridiculous. I must admit, on my first pass-through of doing notes... Um, I, can, I wasn't watching closely enough into one, when one stopped and one began. Yeah. I entirely missed this song. Yeah. Just entirely. And I was going, it was only towards the end, I was going, Surely, I thought there were 14 tracks in this. I went back and went, ah, oh, totally missed this. Played it again and went, I wish I'd just left it. Yeah. yeah. This, is, this is like the music that's playing in a dream sequence mm. where a character imagines they've gone to heaven and everything's very white and okay, they're in the clouds yeah. and they're about to meet God and then the song ends. Yeah. Uh, oh. no, this is absolute rubbish, I think. Yeah, absolute 10. dog shit. Right, yeah, fuck um, that off then. Well, that's that's the second five. Oh, let's do singles then. Do the singles, let's do that. Once again, the, the week that I'm actually looking at for your top ten is the September 6th to the 12th. There's a, a couple of, of new bits in here. It, it, the thing is, we haven't had a top ten for, let's say, four weeks uh, than the NXS one so there's some changes but there's still actually quite a lot of, of stuff that's the same uh, number 10 is Felix Don't You Want which, which we, we have had number 9 is um, Annie Lennox Walking on Broken Glass mm-hmm. which is presumably why her album is back in the charts she's sure. released that single number 8 though and this is an absolute classic it does take a while to get proper into it but I think you're going to get it from an intro my life yes it is yeah. uh, Dr Alban Dr Alban it's my life yeah yeah that, that, that's uh, in the charts at number 8 this mm-hmm. week and yeah that was fucking massive it's my life I, I didn't like it the song but I, at the time but I stop kind of me. stop bugging me I kind of like it in retrospect more than I liked it at the time that's fair because it's a bad song mm-hmm. but it's, it's fun what it, which uh, which song do you think is uh, worse? Uh, it's my life mm-hmm. or uh, Mr. Vane? Oh, Mr. Vane's much worse. It's awful. Isn't it's it? fucking dreadful. I hate that song. Call him Mr. Oh, God. Culture Call beat. Him Mr. Ron. Fucking bullshit. But they're the same song essentially. They're, they're, they're right. the same family of songs. Well, I always put Doctor Alban in the same bracket as Hadaway for some reason. I don't know why. Well, it's that. It's a similar nonsense. Uh, but okay, number seven is John Cicada's Just Another Day, which we've had already. Number six is not on Spotify, and I'm fine with that, mm-hmm. is Brian May's Too Much Love Will Kill You. It was not love, it was sex, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number five we've had before is Billy Ray Cyrus' Achy Breaky Heart. Uh, four is Luther uh, Vandross, Janet Jackson, Best Things in Life Are mm-hmm. Free. Number three, 
And I remember this, and I remember fucking hating this as well. Oh, God. Do you remember who did it? Um, yes, I do. Um, oh, fuck. So bad. And this hung around for weeks. Absolute weeks. And what was the fucking artist credited as? No, you have to tell me. Undercover. Undercover. Yeah. I would never have got that. Fucking shit on a stick, that is. Uh, why, A, why would you think it was... That, that's ripe for a dance reimagining. And let's do it in a really limp fashion. Just horrible, fucking horrible. Uh, number two. And this is, again, objectively, a terrible song. But I bought it at the time, and I still stand up for it in a fun way. Oh, I love this song. It's, I love this song. Let's not fucking. Let's not say anything about this song. Oh, I, mean, I, I, I think it's objectively bad. It's a terrible song, but it's great fun. I I don't know if it is objectively bad. I, I like it. I love the fact that it's just about drugs and they got it on Radio 1. I love that. I love how ham-fisted and juvenile it is. Sure. And I love the fact that The Shaman, who I did used to, you know, I liked a couple of years before this when they were just a dance band yeah. I liked a couple of their tunes and I liked the fact that they made some money off this nonsense but I think it's a terrible song I mean they were the they were the prototype prodigy weren't they the well shaman. indeed yeah pretty much um, okay so that got to number two in this week I have a feeling it got to number one at some point oh it was, it was 100% number one yeah, yeah. right uh, but number one this week is Snap's Rhythm as a Dancer which oh, we have I hated had. this song I hated it Oh, it's shit. It's, well, especially because you come in with the par, which is fucking brilliant, and then your follow-up is Rhythm is Dancer. I mean, because the first song was The Power, and the yep. second one is Under Par. Oh! Undercuts. Oh. Oh. So, uh, the other singles that came out in these five weeks then. Um, and we've seen Paul Weller, uh, the album was in the top ten. His single, Aha uh-huh, Oh Yeah was out we've got to number 18 God, fucking, do you know the, the thing is I hate Paul Weller and I remember liking that song it's, it's very catchy it is it, it, I remember hearing it and not knowing it was him because it doesn't sound like a Paul Weller song no this is it's a catchy tune and also I remember there was a remix of it done by Brendan Lynch maybe uh, and it was a, just a, a nice sort of beat behind that uh, 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 that sort of stuff very cool but yeah doesn't sound like Weller song but anyway, that, that got to number 18. Thunder uh, got to number 22 with Low Life in High Places, which mm-hmm. again, I just don't remember. I don't. I, I wasn't I, aware I, of that. I remember the song title. No, fine. Uh, number 19, uh, Bobby Brown, humping around. So the thing is, you've got to remember, by this point, I'm probably reading Kerrang every week. Oh, as Thunder well. would have been all so over that. Thunder's going to be all over Gotcha, there. okay. Um, number 29, Faith No More is a Small Victory. Yes. Which we obviously did an entire. Special on, on that one? Well, on the album. On the album, indeed. Mentioned the band before. Number 24, and this is, I'm going to assume this is one of the very few songs that you know of theirs. Oh, so, yeah. Everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's Pop Lead itself. Pop Lead itself, indeed. With Bulletproof. Bulletproof, yeah. Yeah, Bulletproof. Bulletproof, yeah. I I used to dance to this. Exactly. This was in all the indie clubs at the time. Uh, It got to number 24 in the charts. And yeah, it it was in all of the fucking clubs. Uh, Number 22, and you'll get this straight away. I wasn't aware of this at the time at all, but I bet you were. Oh, come on, I love this song. (laughs) I love this song, man. I... Look, the first two Skid Row albums are fucking great. Yeah. And 
if it weren't for the fact that he is such a fucking cunt, probably can't sing anymore, and it will never ever happen. I, you know, if there was a reformed Skid Row mm-hmm. playing at Download, I would fucking be there in a heartbeat. Really? Ah, fucking yeah. yes, of course I would. That was, this was a great band, uh, and they, 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 you know, it should have, you know, they, they were in the same kind of bridging thing between the real kind of shithead uh, cock rock yeah. and the metal that would come afterwards. You know, almost I'd say Skid Row are almost the missing link between Guns N' Roses and Pantera. Wow, okay. Wow. A fucking second Skid Row album, Slave to the Grind, is heavy as fuck. Right, fair play. Great record, I mean, man. this one, obviously, Youth Gone Wild is just a big chant along. Yeah, but I love Youth big Gone Big guitar song. You know, you got. I mean, what you got on this? You got Youth Gone Wild. You got Eighteen and Life as well on this right, one. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good lighter's ballad, isn't it? Oh sure. Eighteen yeah, sure. and Life, you got it. Uh, well, got to number twenty-two. That one, Youth Gone Wild. Uh, what this only got to number seventy-three. Uh, but I've put it in again because we did a a special on the album, and this must have been the first time it was officially released with uh with a UK release. Smashing Pumpkins, yeah. I Am One. Mm-hmm. Uh, got to number seventy-three. Uh, if you're a fan of this, do go back and check out. The episode we did on that one. Yes, indeed. Big one, this one. Got to number 10. Bit of a build. Give it a few seconds. Everybody in the house of love. Everybody. Everybody in the house of love. So who is it? E17. E17. House of love. Everybody. Everybody I'm um, trying to think. I think that's the first we've seen of E17, is it? I think that's their first single. Was it? Right. I think so, yeah. Well, they number 10 straight away then. That's pretty good. They did well, man. They did well. They were the, 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 the chav take that, weren't they? They certainly were. Still are. Bit rough. Yeah. And the last one I've got here, uh, another great single from a great, great album. Only got to number 33, which I think is fair. Oh come on! Bit of L seven. Everglade. Uh, no, no, um, uh, no, it's um. Monster. Monster. Yeah, man. This is a wicked tune. Uh, yeah, number thirty-three. Which is no, monst- no monster. This is this is the next fucking album, isn't it? No, this is still bricks are heavy. Is still bricks are heavy. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Oh. The, the end of ninety-two. Monster. I guess this is probably single three. I guess. Hey, yeah. So what was the fucking first track of the next? What's the next record called? The next oh, God, record I couldn't is... even tell you off, off the top of my head. Oh. I remember not being very impressed with it. Oh, I quite liked it. Mm. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, there you go. Those are your singles. Uh, that's where I'm stopping on that one. All Five right. weeks worth of that. Fair not enough. bad stuff. All right, well, let's get back into the... Uh, Finish off a bit of Oldfield. The final stretch, yeah. All right. So track 10... No, uh, track 11... Tattoo. Is where we're at. Tattoo. Which is either about the, the Russian uh, girl band. That were probably just being born at this point. Or probably. Or about uh, one of the, the baddies in James Bond. Yeah, you would imagine so. Hmm. Or it could be about Edinburgh where they do the military tattoo. Ah. Well, you, if you, you, if, what clue could we I have? I don't know. If it was about that, I think we'd know. There would be something about this song that would reference that sort of shit, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Hold oh on. fuck me! I mean, to be fair, hmm. if you, if you'd have asked me two tracks into this, 
is there a bagpipe on this record? Oh, I would God, have yeah. categorically, I would have put, I'd have put my house on it. I don't, yeah, sure. there is definitely a bagpipe on this record. Yeah. I would describe this as an inevitable bagpipe. It, yeah. And an, Crushingly <laughs> inevitable. In fact, like, here, these are the exact notes I wrote. It was almost inevitable that there would be a bastard bagpipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was only a matter of time, and at, at least it's, you know, towards the end of the album. This, this whole track to me, like, once you kind of, the, the the pipes calm down a little bit, it just sounds like a soundtrack fucking outtake from The Phantom Menace. Oh, right, yeah. It's just like, yeah. you know, they're doing some big fucking sign, Boss Nars is in there, and they've given out medals or some shit, and oh, this, this crap plays in the, in the back. background. This was the second single. What, what, was why it? would they do that to the, the world? Yeah, this was the second well, maybe single. you just thought, you know, this, this is going to do... I mean, Great Britain. Oh, yeah. Scotland, Scots. Home, home of the bagpipes. Yeah. This can't fail. He did do... I think he launched this album with a gig at Edinburgh Castle. Right. Uh, with with a lot of pomp and ceremony. It was a big fucking deal in 92. So perhaps they'd just filmed enough footage there that they had to use it for something. Uh, but yes, this is what happens in this song. Well, I don't care. Oh, God, no. Mate, right. Let, let's let's discuss bagpipes and popular music. A, it probably shouldn't happen in general. Generally not. Generally not. No. Uh, but the big ones, your big bagpipe bangers, yep. Mullock and Tyre, mm-hmm. that's, that's the one that instantly comes to mind as, as the big one. Uh, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, ACDC. Yep. That has some good use of it. But the main one for me, and the one that all subsequent songs should have been banned from using bagpipes is because it will never be better than John Farnham's You're the Voice. Absolutely not. It will never be. And particularly when you see him do it live and he picks oh the motherfuckers Lord. up and plays Amazing. them himself. Amazing. Amazing, right? Uh, and, I mean, you know, um, honourable mention to uh, to Jonathan Davis from Corn. Well, sure. Who, yeah. who, who fucking tries to fucking shoehorn those motherfuckers into shoots and ladders. For some reason, yeah. Uh, well, they've got to do something to be quirky. Exactly. Being buggered as a child isn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> coming out <laughs> coming out guys right. um, but yes this is a dreadful dreadful song. dreadful dread, 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 really dread. bad yeah I mean this is I suspect he regrets this as much as nearly anybody else that got a tattoo in the 90s <laughs> You're going to do with that Tasmanian devil dickhead? <laughs> yeah, quite. No, I'm never going to see it because it's above my arse crack. Oh, God. Um, right, so let's do the next track. It's already mentioned by Darren. Yes. Al- this is Altered State. Altered State. A song far with one too many words in its title. <laughs> I'm just going to pause quickly on yeah. this one. Because the first thing I thought when I played this mm-hmm. was like, fuck, this is the first drum beat we've heard on this album. Uh, my first note says, it's an actual song. Because mm. it sounds like this almost sounds like the start of that take that song. Like, oh, yeah. Sure. So, like, showed me I'd been missing something. Yeah. And I was like, oh, mate, a drum beat. Yes. Yeah. So I've written it's an actual song. Press play, and I'll give you what my second note is. Oh, no, it's not. That's my second note. <laughs> no, it's, now it's turned into a Jim Henson song. Yeah. What is going on? I was not prepared for this. No, I mean, I've just written this. This is fucking stupid. Isn't it? And like Darren said, obviously it's stupid and ridiculous. Is it supposed to be funny? Or is it just supposed to be, you know, in the same way as uh, some of the stuff from Pink Floyd albums is just crazy? Yeah, I, I think this is certainly supposed to be absurdist. Absur- okay, yeah, there, there's a, that's a, a nice way to put it. It's fucking mental, though. 
Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I put on here, look, someone's turned the prog up on this one, and in rides Mr. Spoon on an electric unicorn. Wow, okay. Craig McLaughlin's uh, Mona is somewhere in the background as well. Ching, 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 Yeah. Yeah. Mate, this is absolute insanity. It's dreadful. And I was not ready. It's dreadful. Oh, it's awful. If this had been on the first half of the album, mm. right, when I was still in the zone of that, I might have enjoyed this a lot more. Okay. Right, because the first half is so gonzo and odd and all over the place that I could almost pass this away. But the rest of this f- second half mm. is so anodyne and fucking, like, you know, without personality, really. It's yeah. A little, that it, it just, it, it's way 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 too far out on a limb for me oh it is it's an obvious sore thumb for the for the second half definitely and then he kind of breaks out with the guitar and there's a big long guitar solo and it literally it it might as well the song might as well have been called don't worry guys I still rock when I need to <laughs> <laughs> looking straight down the camera yeah. hey guys uh, hey don't worry all of these ideas you've heard yeah. I'm a, <laughs> kind of weird huh kind of weird maybe Maybe too weird for some yeah, of you guys. Maybe some of you not ready. <laughs> but look, look, just so you know, I still turn this on whenever I need to. Dreadful. Yeah. Awful. Yeah, terrible. It, it's almost like he'd been bottling it up for 10 songs because mm-hmm. there's some sort of craziness inside him and everything explodes. Everything just comes out. Like, take the top off a champagne bottle and everything comes out in a yeah. mass of stupidity. But in, in, instead of uh, in, instead of champagne in the bottle, there's just fucking some C4 and like spunk and shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Just weird nonsense. The only thing that I've got on this is because there was a drummer. I was like, fucking hell, all right, drummers. And I looked up who'd play drums on it. Uh, there's a guy called John Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, John with an H as opposed to our regular listener John without an H right? yeah. uh, hello John uh, this guy is a prolific session drummer started off with Rufus and Shaka Khan in the late 70s nice. a lot of stuff with Quincy Jones throughout um, played on the likes of right some some highlights of his career Michael Jackson's Don't Stop Till You Get Enough Rock With You The Way You Make Me Feel loads of stuff on Bad did loads of stuff nice. with him Madonna's Express Yourself Wow. Uh, Whitney Houston Did Me Almost Have It All Greatest Love of All couple of those David Lee Roth, just a gigolo. Come on. Yeah, what? Uh, Lionel Richie's All Night Long and Dancing on the Ceiling. Steve Winwood's Higher Love. These, These are big singles. And, and not just they're big singles, they're, they're big singles with incredible, distinctive rhythm pieces. Oh, totally. I mean, Higher Love. Yeah. I mean, the drums are right at the top of the mix mm-hmm. in that song, and that's almost the first thing you hear. Yeah. Beautifully done. Um, but then Curtis Steiger's You're All That Matters To Me. Nice. Yeah. Seal Crazy. And I'm guessing that's because Trevor Horn. Yeah. It, this is why he's on this album. Trevor Horn's worked with him. Uh, and Wilson Phillips, Hold On. Yeah. Look, this this goes back to the start of lockdown, right? And uh-huh. I, I don't think I've mentioned it on a podcast before. Maybe I did. I can't remember. But my joke, remember when everyone was watching Joe Exotic at the start? Sure, yeah. And my, my favourite my favorite thing was that why did he call himself Joe Exotic and not Curtis Tigers yeah <laughs> that's brilliant that, is a good, that would be a great name it would also be a great name for a drag queen presumably yeah they just did tiger skin amazing Curtis Tigers um, so I have nothing against the drummer John Robinson for playing on this track mate whatever you got to do to pay some bills yeah from, from your back cat do whatever the fuck you want exactly and if it's playing on a song where someone's shouting in German and then someone's like doing a sped up comedy voice that's alright you do you mate not a problem sounds, that's what it sounds like it sounds like a B-side for a spitting image single yeah mate do you remember that Elton John thing we played that was yes. uh, 
so, some weird B-side that he yeah. did. It's kind of along those lines. Yeah. It, uh, you know, it's yeah. up there with the fucking, the, the Bowie gnome song. Yeah. And, it's that kind of bullshit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Stupid ideas done badly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what that's what that one was. That's number twelve. So, so we're near the end. So thirteen is Maya Gold. Maya Gold, which is my, which was my favourite green and black chocolate bar. I don't, <laughs> I don't even get that anymore. <laughs> I've got nothing for this song because it just goes. And I've, what I meant to write is mellow again. Yeah. What I actually wrote was mellow Allen, which it, this oh, does right. sound like the kind of thing that Partridge might listen to. Maybe so. Yeah. Even the, the title of this one makes me hate it. Because immediately I'm going, all right, this is going to be some Guatemalan palm pipe shit. And that's kind of where we are. And it, this limps along. Yeah. Really does nothing. It limps along for four minutes and just dribbles out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't understand what purpose this plays. Like, to me, if you're going to have Altered State, you end an album on Altered State. Fine. Yeah, that is a statement. Yeah, mm. yeah. there's a, a crash at the end and that's it. And everyone looks around going, what just happened? Yeah, I'm wasting no more time on Mellow Gold. I've got nothing to say about it. No, no. Once again, there are bits that remind me of War of the Worlds, but not in a good way at all. Yeah, Yeah. those kind of bent guitars. That bit. Um, No, and also, this is track 13 on a Fortune Track album. I am entirely finished with this album at this oh, point. I am, I am over this. I, yeah, I am very much at this point. So tra- final track is Moonshine. Moonshine, last one. Uh, four, I've got I've got four words on this one. Go for it. Oh. Mm-hmm. Fuck off. <laughs> Mike. Mike. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's basically this kind of... Well, I've got five words. Yeah. And it's, why would you do this? Yeah, this, this is... Uh, why is this here? I don't know. This almost seems like you know, you know, like how, like at the end of Dookie by Green Day, there's that fucking, there's that like little bonus track about someone wanking in your house. Okay, I was on my right, own. Right, sure. It, it kind of feels like that kind of novelty track at the end, or at the end of the Sum Forty One album where they do Pain for Pleasure. Yeah, and just a bit silliness. Yeah, I honestly don't get what he's doing with this. No, um, rubbish. A, a dreadful way to finish an album. Yeah, dreadful. Really bad, dreadful. badly put together that as a, mm-hmm. as a sequence, but. Hey, I'm not Mike Oldfield. So where are you on this album in general? Um, I will never listen to it again. Uh, I did not take a lot of pleasure from it at all. Okay. And it has not made me think I was wrong about any of the other Mike Oldfield stuff I had in my head. Right. Now, Yeah. game of two halves for me. Okay. Very much split down the middle. Uh-huh. Pretty much enjoyed the first half with reservations and the understanding that I might not be enjoying it for for the reasons that intended. He, right, that he actually, but yeah. enjoyed it, and there was enough stuff in there that I could probably dig into that and listen to it. Probably, you know, we'll possibly listen to that some more. I okay, don't, I, I don't know. Right. I can't imagine when, but I, I, I would. Second half, just just dull, really. Like, which is mm. like apart from that one mental so yeah i find that a little bit dull as well in that it's just like i i I find nothing duller than when unfunny people try and do comedy oh mate i'm right here Uh, fucking hell dude look man personally attacked okay i mean you do resemble that comment it's funny (laughs) no i I will give you that the the first half has more to it there's more going on there's more interesting stuff going on it was lighting my brain up sure no the second half is boring fucking boring really boring yeah uh and this is the type of shit you could get away with in the 90s if you had a following Mm. and you you know because they'd throw a load of money at it and they'd know that it was going to make a load of money because the record sales were going to make 
you, your money back. That's right, the way sure, it was going to yeah. go. Yeah. This is the stuff that Napster killed. And when we talk about the goods and the bads, as we often do, maybe the fact that we don't get this stuff as much mm. is, is a good thing. I don't know. Um, but having said that, mm. that's been changed by the fact that you could pretty much fucking bang this out with your laptop now. Oh, you could. You could almost put a preset on it. Yeah. And even at the time, in 92, like we were talking at the very, very beginning, the weight of expectation, in terms of how it was received, obviously it's number one for two weeks. That's your yeah. public. But opinion that I could see from reading up on it was definitely split. The, uh, there was like one article in The Independent, for example, that was like, yeah, this is terrific. This is a lovely extension of where he was. This is an updating of mm-hmm. his sound. It works really well. He's incorporated these new things in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but then, I mean, the other one I'm, I'm thinking of actually was a Melody Maker one, which is obviously going to be scathing. Yeah. Uh, but it was saying, this is fucking dreadful. This yeah. is some bullshit nonsense. Why is this being made today? What's the point, you know? Yeah. So there, there was definitely splitting. And what it comes down to is it's generational, isn't it? Mm. In, you know, in the same way that when Rage Against the Machine were announced, you know, which, you know, a, a record that came out very close to this one. Yes, absolutely. But when Rage Against the Machine was the brand new fucking thing, the mind-blowing thing that changed everyone's opinion about lots of different things. But when they were announced to headline Reading this year, lots of young people are complaining, why are these fucking goths playing? Oh, right, yeah. You know, because... And it's, ch- and it's a change. And, you know, and just probably in the same way that had we seen a live Mike Oldfield set around this time, we'd have probably gone, actually, there is some pretty impressive stuff in maybe. that. Maybe. 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 If, if he'd done a Glastonbury... Yeah. Which is what he would have done. He wouldn't have done Reading. But if he'd done a Glastonbury, maybe it could have been an enjoyable... Maybe. Who, maybe. But who, who knows? Right, anyway. Yeah, yeah, sure. But, you know, it's you know it's generation, generational stuff. This, this was an album that was put out for a horde of fans that previously existed for his old work. It was probably a welcome thing, you know, much in the same way as artists that put out seminal works when I was in my, you know, in my teens and 20s. Yeah. I'm probably still going to go and check them out now. You, you'll, you'll give them a, a pass yeah, on a lot of you stuff. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. There, there are differences in them. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to listen to the new Smashing Pumpkins record when that comes out. No, but if it was a new Metallica one, or Guns N' Roses, you'd, you'd listen. Yeah, I mean, if it was a new Rage Against the Machine, I'd fucking be oh, buying it first day. But so, you know, stuff stuff moves on. There's always a disconnect between the young sure. and the old. Sure. This connected with an audience to a degree, I think. But, yeah. You know. and, okay, I can understand why it was number one, because of the, the fan base. Yeah. Um, it was never targeted at me. No. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. Not a problem. It exists... Fuck it, not a problem. People like Darren and his dad yeah, in, loved it, enjoyed it. the old stuff, and loved they got a lot out of it. I'm glad to hear yeah. Darren still likes it today. Fucking weirdo, uh, weirdo. Fucking yeah, weirdo. definitely, you fucking knob. Um, but yeah, so there, yeah, that, okay. that was that was a fun trip down. Uh, it was. Uh, in terms of putting songs onto the playlist, yeah, we're not going to do more than one, are we? No, no, we're okay, only doing fine. one. That's fine. I mean, it, what are you? What are you between then? I'm not even really between anything. Oh, right. I'm I'm just pretty much thinking Sentinel. But oh right, that would be the obvious one. Yeah, that would be the obvious one. Yeah. And um, the other one I would I would be tempted to put go towards would be Dark Star because it's fucking silly. Yeah. And it's two minutes long, but Sentinel's a better tune. I think Sentinel is more representative of different moods of this record. That's fair, and it's got the classic. Yeah, and it starts bit. off with the Mr. Spoon bit, so yeah. people can agree with us sure. and laugh. Okay, we'll stick that on then. All right, cool. 
Right, that was that. I'm glad we've got it out of the way, if I'm honest, because it was another one that was a blip in the, yeah. the, the, the upcoming shit. I, I mean, we did debate not doing a full episode on it, but I think there was enough to talk about. Well, we've got two hours recording here. Well, I'll cut down, yeah. Yeah, we had fun. So, yeah, right. absolutely. What's next? Next is R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People, which yeah. I'm excited about doing. Yeah, I haven't heard that album for 20 years. As okay. a whole album. No, you're probably right. I probably haven't listened to it in entirety in the same yeah. amount of time, but I'm positive... Now, as soon as I put that on, I will know every single note on it again. Yeah, I listened to it so much when I was that age. I, I'll be interested to see how much of it comes back for me because I listen to it a lot, but possibly probably not as much as you did. Okay, well but let's let's do next. it. All right. Well, um, yeah, cool. Yeah, thank you for listening again. Uh, get in contact with any comments if you have uh, anything to say about Mike Oldfield. Please let mm, us know. Please do. And uh, and well, if you have anything to say about REM, you can get in contact before the next show on as well and see uh, we'll see if we can get some bits read out. Lovely. All right, guys. Well, thank you for having us, and we will see you next time. All right. Cheerio, guys. Bye. Thank you for checking out this episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. It was produced and edited by us, for which we can only apologise. We are on Twitter, at PCL Podcast, on Instagram, also at PCL Podcast, and Facebook.com slash PCL Podcast. All of these, plus links to our various Spotify playlists, etc., are on our website, which is pclpodcast.com. Please feel free to get in contact via any of the social media or on pclmusicpodcast at gmail.com.